Welcome to another episode of Architects, where we speak to the architects of art. The individuals shaping the culture of our past, present, and future, and challenging the way we think and feel about the world around us. I'm Tosh Critchlow. Today's guest is a true artist, a visionary director, photographer, and painter. Born to Italian opera singing parents, she was raised in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Initially drawn to painting and illustration, she went to Ontario College of Art and Design, where she studied just that, before shifting her focus to photography. She soon established herself as a successful fashion photographer and was approached by Revolver Films, a Toronto-based production company to make music videos. The rest was history. She's known for working with legends like David Bowie, Leonard Cohen, and Bjork, and with brands like Gucci, Samsung, Facebook, and more. But that's not all. She also made her mark in the world of film and television by writing and directing the 2010 biographical drama about the Runaways and the 2020 horror film, The Turning. In the TV world, she's been at the helm of critically acclaimed series, The Handmaid's Tale, American Gods, and Daredevil. Before we get into it, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that we are aware of the serious accusations against Marilyn Manson. And the reason we bring up his work in the episode is to speak about our guest and her brilliant career. Without further ado, let's welcome the world-renowned creator, Floria Sigismondi. So, Floria, 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 here we are. How are you, first of all? And I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm uh, glad to be on the show, so thank you for having me. Um, I just got back from five months away, so it's I'm getting my feet back on the ground here in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's wild, and it's kind of crazy that I ran into you, literally, we just crossed paths in Malibu, out of all places. Yes. Um, one time. <laughs> one time. It's <laughs> it's so funny. I'm a Soho House uh, worldwide member, but for whatever reason, they don't have the Malibu House. Yes, on, I know. Which is like, I feel cheated. So bad, yeah. bad on Soho House. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, a good buddy of mine, Mr. Uh, Mr. Marcus, as I call him, Marcus Anderson, who hooked us up that day. Anytime I wanted to do a little getaway for the day, he was hooked me up with Malibu. And, and literally, as I was sitting down with my team, I just saw this hair just move like it was slow motion, <laughs> like a John Woo film and doves flying up from behind. And I was like, I bet my life it's you. And, it, and, and then I ran up and it was, it's just serendipitous, but um, it's crazy. But uh, yeah, Floria, um, just wanted to just, just get to know you. Um, everyone knows your work and this conversation is all about getting to know you as a filmmaker, as a visionary, as the artist. And as I've been doing my readings, um, found that you were born in Italy um, by uh, opera singers. Um, please speak to us about that. Yeah, well, I, we immigrated to Canada from Italy because there was uh, no work in Italy um, when I was two. So I very much grow, I grew up in a kind of Italian bubble thinking that the rest, you know, the world outside of our house was Italian. And then being com in complete shock <laughs> that it wasn't. <laughs> and then everybody was a little bit different. You know, what do you mean you don't eat pasta and you don't listen to opera and swear while you're cooking? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so that was uh, an eye opener. And I remember my first uh, word, too, which was uh, it sticks in my mind because it was so shocking, again, to just understand sort of a different language. And um, my first word was egg. And in Italian, it's wovel. 
it really sounds like what the image is. Mm-hmm. And so when I found out egg meant wovel was what you're it's you're making a sound you know it's like not even a word <laughs> so there was a lot of you know culture shock and also when i look back at the what that's done for me you know being an immigrant in canada and and, and canada is a very safe wonderful place to grow up as an immigrant obviously um just the plethora of diversity and it was just such a wonderful place uh, to grow up but um what it's done though is allowed me to find a home within and not um, um, in my environment and to be comfortable um, wherever I am because, you know, Canada felt a little bit like an outsider, you know, I kind of felt a little bit of an outsider there. And then I'd go to Italy. And of course, I didn't belong because I had all this other cultural stuff I was bringing and my accent's a little different. So I've just sort of um, become, you know, it's allowed me to internalize my home. Mm-hmm. And you moved to Hamilton, your family? Yes. Hamilton. I don't think my parents knew where they were going, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Probably not much opera work out there. Not much opera. And, you know, we followed my uncle, uh, my mother, on my mother's side, and he was in construction. So it was definitely not the place my parents thought it was. Um, and so I was translating at the age of five and picking up the phone to collectors. And, you know, I remember having a stigma of picking when the phone rang just to think that I had to translate and talk as a child, very, very young child. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. When I read that you pretty much moved to Hamilton when you were two, I was just curious to know, like, how that environment impacted your work because it's a blue collar town. And it's it's not like robust and wild and lots of things going on. It's it's really a, you know at the time very conservative environment. So I'm just curious to know how you kind of maneuvered around and and like you mentioned before that like you felt like you didn't fit in to the mix of things. Yeah, I think the overall impact when I look back and what it's done, it's allowed me to uh, appreciate uh, you know the ugly and the beautiful, like two extreme opposites, whether it be, you know, a piece of rusted metal on a gate or something I saw on a train track and then, you know, opera and art in the home or something like that. So in just in the costumes, like my mother would literally watch Sonny and Cher, Sunny share show, and then the next week would have Cher's dress, <laughs> you know, and I would sit there <laughs> by the sewing machine till all hours of the night watching her make things out of, you know, flat fabric, and all of a sudden it became a two-dimensional thing. But that look didn't work so well in Hamilton. So we, you know, it was a very, very much um, at the time. I'm not saying, you know, Hamilton now is very, very different, and I've gone mm-hmm. back shoot um, Handmaid's Tale there. Uh, and so it's definitely grown and it's become a little, um, it's grown into itself, you know? Uh, but at the time it was very violent. It was a very violent place. Really? Uh, yeah. When I'd walk out of the street, it would, it was a lot. Yeah, it was. Um, there were always fights at every party I've gone to. That was just normal. And so, yeah, it, it was just about finding who I was and knowing that the creativity would take me there because it felt good. And that's mm. what I've learned also in, in my life is just to go where it feels good, like really good inside. 
And so creativity for me was a way of um, self-expression, of just being who I was without having to fit in or not. You know, it was just about um, exploration. That's amazing. And it's, it's funny you mentioned this parallel universe that you're living in back out there where it's like, you saw the steel and this rust, but there's something beautiful about that. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's something also that says about your work, where you always find a beauty in the darkness, you know? And mm-hmm. and the, the the analogy of the, the grit and the rust, and, I, and you always find that 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 fine line, and um, which we'll kind of be exploring as we continue talking about your work and your style, which leads me to my next question. Uh, which is the art college that you went to uh, when you studied painting and illustration. And I noticed, you know, on your website, you have a lot of cool like water paintings and stuff like that. So when did you started like dabbling into that world in that space? Yeah, no, I I started painting at a very, very young age. My father was giving, um, well, before this, actually, I remember going into Food City, which is, you know, the Ralph's or whatever, you know, neighborhood grocery store and they would have a little arts and crafts section like tiny like where you buy pens but I would look at a paintbrush and for some reason the little paintbrush with the little you know a palette of colors just my heart would like, I'd just get little butterflies I'd get so excited and I was like oh my god there you know there's this thing it's almost like it precedes knowledge of of when you find the thing that you love and my father was giving uh, singing lessons to a a mosaic artist, really great um, Hungarian artist, Tibor Nalasi. And in exchange, he would give uh, my sister and I art lessons. So we oh, had wow. very sophisticated, you know, we were doing cross hatching with pen and ink at like mm. seven. So <laughs> it was it was really, really an amazing experience. And I loved every minute of it. And I, you know, I think I used it as escapism. And I remember going from uh, all girls Catholic high school to um, Delta, which was a public high school, and they had all these paints. Like, but you know, we were, you know, at the, at the Catholic high school. I don't know why, but we had, you know, here's your little dab of blue and your little dab of red. And if your painting was all red, too bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> God. And then I went to the public school, and it was there. Just a plethora of stuff. And I remember just, you know, I didn't have many friends because I, I, I just uh, started, and I just spent every lunchtime in the art room and just creating. It was, it was really a, a great time. And so when I joined, when I, you know, finally got into OCA, for me, it was just like, what? You get to do art all day long? <laughs> you know, it was really, it felt like a gift. Um, and, and to be surrounded by artists and everybody's got their own styles and ways of thinking and just that whole new world, you know, that's just um, as, as a young person, when you find the thing that you love. Yeah, it's 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 amazing where you kind of how the universe kind of guides you on this path where you're like you don't really know where you belong, but you you slowly start seeing those little those little clues, right? For you, was that little paintbrush that kind of led you now to like open up and get in those art lessons, and then then going to now CAD, and now finally now being amongst these other um, misfits and artists and outcasts that kind of like became this weird men of the X Men school, right? <laughs> all congregating and just figuring out what's our purpose and the why. And then from there, I'm assuming that's where you also started getting your appetite for photography, right? Well, you know what happened? I uh, The last year, out of the four years I was there, I took one photography course just to expand a little bit. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll try that. I'll, I'll, I'll take something different. 
And I didn't go to class. All I did was shoot. It was so, I was just like, I'm busy. I, I, you know, I'm working, but just I'm, instead of coming to class, I'm going to go, you know, in the studio and shoot. And there was something that I loved about it that was very immediate where painting took, you know, a month or two and it was just something. And when I was done a painting, it was very hard for me to let go of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very, very personal and, and still to today, maybe because there's one of a kind or something like that. And it really uh, signifies a time and place where photography, I was able to let go a little bit, but what I loved about it was the interaction with people. Right. Because as an artist, you're very insular, on your own, you're always in your mind, and all of a sudden I had to communicate. I was not a good communicator. I'd be, you know, I, I remember even when I started doing um, projects for magazines, I would wouldn't even hire an assistant because I thought by the time I tell them what to do, I could have moved the light. Like not, you know, not seeing the benefits <laughs> of having an assistant, which was ridiculous. But <laughs> until somebody thought like you're cheap, you don't have an. Ass-. I went, no, that's not why. Okay, I've got to learn to talk. You know, and that's a whole new thing. And directing's really, you know, obviously the photography has led to to film. And what I loved about it was right. the ability to be around people. But also now you've got this great medium that encompasses sound and time. Mm. So now you've got to ask your audience to stay for five minutes, to stay for 10 minutes, to stay for an hour, where in a photograph or a painting, you, you know, walk by in a couple of seconds and, you know, you've got someone's attention for, if you do, even for a few seconds. So there was something really great about that to create a mood and, and also all the things I was interested in, fashion, sculpture, sets, uh, mood and lighting, you know, which was part of theater, which I grew up um, in. And so it was all of a sudden it clicked. It made sense. Um, But what was so great about taking photography, which, you know, like I said, grew into sort of like an obsession. I would, you know, know, print 100 pieces of paper, photo paper to get one perfect print. It allowed me to really understand the medium of a composition, of understanding, like when I went to a DI in the film and music videos, I knew what part of the frame I wanted, darker, lighter, exposure, all that stuff. So if I hadn't taken so many photos on my own within, you know, the viewfinder, the constraints of that frame, I don't think I'd understand the film medium like I do. So you know how different people come in to film in different ways. You can be a writer, you can be, you know, from from different different ways. That was my way in was the camera. What were some of the first things you were you were shooting when you moved from photography to to film? Um what was I doing? I did a, I co-directed a couple of music videos with Don Allen uh, from Revolver and he's Shout the one Don. <laughs> Don. <laughs> and I would go to clubs and on uh, Queen Street and he'd be like, you know, he'd see my photography around and go, you know, you should come direct something. And I was like, okay, and it was a very interesting experience, but I had already create. I already had a look in in um, my photography. And let me go back a little bit because this is very interesting. And it's the you know you hear people saying the the wonderful mistakes or the happy accidents. Mm. Well, I was taking a roll of film. Uh, I had it through my camera, and I was um, I'd shot this model, and uh, it was a little bit of a fashion shoot, and completely blank. I had a, I had a developed completely blank. Mm. But the first four images, and those are the images that you're just cranking 
mm-hmm. the film through the camera. So you're not at number one yet. You're at minus zero, zero or something. And, uh, oh my God, it was beautiful. It was, I finally found the expressionism that I loved in painting. What I loved about painting was you could do, you could let your imagination go. If I wanted to paint blue people, I paint blue people. It doesn't cost me anything, you know? And all of a sudden I thought, oh, photography, it's a little bit more documenting reality. I'm trying to get away from reality. Reality is boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we you know, get up, you bathe, you have to do the dishes. If you don't bathe, you get diseases. I mean, it was just you know, <laughs> mundane. The routine of reality it was completely boring to me. And so finding this escapism through images and finding that I was able to do it with photography. My God, I just went into sort of um, research on how that happened. And when I found out what I had done, overexposed, put it through the developer too long, all this stuff, then I found the look, the style that Mm. got me excited. Um, And so, you know, and when I started film, um, doing those music videos, for me, I'd already, you know, found a, a, a look that I liked, you know, again, making people's, blue or green, <laughs> which was my very first, um, I think, well, I want to say Toronto Magazine. It was my very first spread job. Mm. And it was to shoot lingerie. And I thought it was a good idea. And they said yes to shoot women in lingerie in the train tracks. By the train <laughs> track, I was like, oh, I, I didn't, I was just like, what, you know, what would I do? I want to make something different. I want to take, I mean, when I think about it now, it's crazy. But um, <laughs> were you were you like referencing stuff back then and looking at other work, or were you just like following your intuition? I don't know what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> you know, it was all magazines. If you had found something you liked, I don't know. But you know, maybe at the time, I think people, you know, that kind of photography with Valenrat, Javier mm. Valenrat was, you know, very or Sarah Moon, Sarah Moon, and you know who the other one, and when you ask about what the kinds of stuff I was shooting was, Deborah Turbeville's work really sang to me. Um, and it was very, very grainy and very, again, dirty. She shot in very dirty places. So I'm sure she had something to do with, you know, taking women in lingerie and putting them in, you know, weird, de- uh, destroyed places and dilapidated places. But there was beauty in that. And I, and I saw the, um, I saw a mode of expressing myself that wasn't, based in reality, mm. which excited me. Um, and maybe, <clears throat> you know, that's the opera coming into because the opera, you know, is very poetic and, and you know, talking about worlds that are, you know, they're big, massive brushstrokes and the stories are very tragic mm-hmm. and there's a lot of beauty. So it was always never about the happy ending, which America loved to thrive at at the time too. You know, the happy ending, the happy ending. For me, it was just, you know, more about Shakespeare and tragedy. And so it's, yeah. It, it, and I found that very early on in photography. Um, then I started to do music videos. And again, it took me a while to find myself right. here in that medium because of the communication skills I had to develop. Mm-hmm. Like I would say three words and think, the person could see what was in my head. And then I'd get another, and I'd get the stuff back and go, oh, that was all not right. <laughs> <laughs> not what I was thinking at all. <laughs> but it was interesting, you know, to to see other people's perspective and, and to grow into that. And 
and to show images, but go, but not like that, but sort of like that. Because, you know, you never want to appropriate somebody else's work, but the closest thing you can find to a feeling or a texture. And then, of course, now, you know, I, I don't show references and I'm a little bit better at talking. But, yeah, this is this is an experience <laughs> for sure. It's, you know, this, this is the beauty in what we do, right? Um, we put the hours in. And as you put the hours in, you're, you're learning as you go. And you start figuring out what you're... Your, what your lane is and your your vibe and your style and your feel. And and through that, uh, which led now to you getting into, you know, further into photography and putting out three amazing collections of books. The first book I've ever seen of yours was Redemption, um, which came out in 99. And, you know, then to follow, it came with Immune and then and then as of just recently, like two years ago, um, Eat the Sun. I'm just curious to know, when you approach your photography books, in terms of the themes that you build around each, each piece, how do, you, how do you get there? And, and was that purposeful? Is it something that you kind of just, or was that a thing that you were just shooting a bunch of stuff and you're like, you know what, there's something going on here. There's a universe and ethos I'm tapping into. And because there's three different bodies of work. I'm just curious to know how you kind of arrived to each of those places. Yeah, um, well, when I create, I'm like a little baby. You know, I've got no pretexts. I do it because that's where the joy is. And um, and a lot of times, you know, the, I think it's very important as an artist not to judge your little seedling, seedling ideas because I think the intellect can take over and the intellect isn't necessarily the place of creation is the place of judgment. Also, it's the place of figuring out where the art belongs in the world and what mm. it means to you. And so that happens later. And so a lot of times I'll shoot and not understand. I'm like, oh, until I do these books, actually, and they're very cathartic for me. They're very um, positive in the way. They're hard to do, but very positive in a way because I'm able to close a chapter in my life and actually change. It allows me to change. And you can see from those books, too, there's some something that, and it's time and growing as a, as a human on earth, but it allows me to go, okay, this is what I was going through. This is a chapter of my life. Um, what's the main theme, which again, is like these conversations, you grow from them. You go, okay, this is what I was going through. And as soon as you put it into words, you're done. You know, you're out of that box right. and you have to find something else. And it's scary you have to find something else. But for me, I'm always like, okay, I can wallow in the scare and I can really get dive down that rabbit hole or just kind of go and move on. And even if it's hard to create at first, once I've closed that door, and sometimes it is for a little bit, a good six months to a year sometimes, but you just kind of move on and, and, and hope you find something. And at first, you know, it's a little sort of, oh, you're playing around and playing around with things and okay, that's okay, that's not, and then until you find something that means something. And I think that's what the artist's journey is, is is not just to create pretty pictures. Right. Because in the end, I think as, as you get more mature, you realize that that's easy. You know, it becomes mm -hmm. sort of easy. Okay, I can make a pretty picture. But what does it mean? What is it saying? You know, what, or how can I connect to this emotionally even if I don't completely understand? right. And then abandoning yourself to it. And, and it's okay not to understand. But definitely not, not to, I try not to have that intellect come in too soon. 
Right. Because I feel like just like just like live action work with music videos and, and commercials, like photography, it's still telling a story, right? The only mm-hmm. difference is we're capturing them in a still moment, but there's always something going on. There's there's still a through line there in terms of the imagery you're shooting, especially at the time of and time and place that in that moment for you, right? Because it's, it's funny that here it is. These are books, and and I always look at life as chapters. So you 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 tapped on something that I always say to myself, where, you know, our lives are kind of like different acts, and there's always a moment of time where you're going through a certain thing, if it's personally or professionally or an energy thing. But there's always that moment of I was in a different place, and there's a there's a growth there as well. There's a growth in terms of you as a human being, and there's also a growth spurt in terms of your creativity. Right, like that that Spider-Man moment where you got bit by the spider when you had those those four those four images that were technically a mistake, but also opened up that box of creativity, which led you on this new path that you're on. And uh, and your books always have this really amazing kind of dark but fantasy, beautiful, fashion-esque vibe to it. But at the same time, it's the kind of things that I dream about. Um, the things that are just really deep psychologically in your mind that I'm like, holy shit, like that image, that's something I dreamt about or I had a nightmare about or <laughs> a fantasy sequence that, or, or I was really fucking high and I had that moment. And, hmm. and that's what's really trippy about your work for me. It's like you're tapping into something that is uh, very spiritual um, and it's, it's, it's godly. Now we're talking about transitioning from your still work into music videos. And again, big shout to Don Allen. I call him the Don. That's my guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and I love the fact that, you know, he kind of tapped on your shoulder and be like, hey man, like you need to get into to music videos. And I know like from when I read, like you worked, your earlier works were like, you know, uh, the tea party and stuff like that. But how was that transition for you? Because I, I've always seen, especially coming from the photography world, it's either you get it or you don't, right? Um, because some people have a problem with working with live subjects and seeing things move around and now being in a whole different space. But you have done it in a way where it was seamless, where it's kind of like this was just a, a natural evolution for you. And I'm just curious to know how that came about in terms of coming from this world of still photography, having those moments to now like bring it to live and telling a story now in three minutes versus just a still photo. Yeah, for, well, what, what was happening um, is I was taking photos in a series. So now instead of being happy with one photograph, I would have five photographs. So it, I was, it was natural for me to move into the film world. But the, the thing that I had to find was something that took me out of, again, reality. And when I found, you know, slow motion or when I found playing with time, whether, you know, I'm making something move very fast, that's what excited me. And that's what pushed me forward into into liking it. And also because I came from photography, it was very much playing with the camera. You know, like I would even just get flame bars and having them in front of the lens just so I could have a ripple that whether it made sense, it was about fire or not. There was just something that, you know, I played with or shooting into mylar to stretch an image or something like that. So, but the hardest thing for me was, hold on, I've got to come up with a thousand images, <laughs> you know, or, <laughs> or, you know, hundreds of images. What? 
it was exciting. It was fun to to then expand my world and and you know not not uh, just having like two or three images that you create in a day, but just to tell us and to tell a story was also fun. Even though, listen, for the first ten years, I don't think anybody understood my stories in my music videos. Right. But I did. <laughs> it was a story, but um, there were more. <laughs> there were more themes, and it was just my, you know, exploring, and they were a little bit more abstract, which is something that I think the medium needs to get back to. I think there, you know, when you look at Peter Greenaway's films, and he's oh, he always says, you know, the writers hijacked cinema, and there's something about it turning very again just uh, mirroring society. Mm-hmm. So much that you're, you know, you're in it. And that's wonderful. And that's cinema verite. And there's, you know, and then there's the other. And when I found the other is is what music video allowed me to do because of, you know, the ideas of what songs are about or album themes or something like that. But I really allowed myself to to just go in a dream. You know, I'd listen to the song a thousand times until I didn't hear it anymore. And then, you know, the gates opened and then I would get a bunch of images. Well, talking about the gates opening, um, which leads us to our next point of discussion, is your breakthrough video, um, Beautiful People from Marilyn Manson. That video really, it, it just created shockwaves into the industry. No one has seen that kind of imagery in that space. And at the time, you know, that was like really the beginning of seeing this art form expand into a whole new space. Again, my my love for for horror films, I was really connected to this music video while my other friends were running the other direction. Like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, this is magic. Look what she's doing. Look at the teeth. This is the, the, the. they're like, what are you, what are you on, bro? <laughs> yeah. yeah um, there was this film which um which I'll speak to after, but just curious to know, like that whole experience, this 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 warped, nightmarish type of, of music video that really shook the core of people, and just and it also said something about humanity, right? You know, beautiful people, and and just playing with those, playing with words, like just 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 speak to us to let us know, like how you entered that space and what was your thinking and the story that you wanted to convey and that you did convey. Well, it was a little bit of a, p- a political statement, um, you know, Manson as the dictator, but he had um, an outfit made out of human skins. You know, I, I used a PVC and I wanted it to be skin color and look like it was all stitched together, sort of using the blood and the sweat of humanity to create these larger than life powers that be that then control so there was something about that, you know, there was, a, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. Um, and the idea that, you know, there was a little bit of a, a mass thinking, but it was kind of all a little bit wrong. There wasn't the organization, let's say, that it would have uh, been depicted in the past sort of from these dictators. Let's say if you go to a Hitler, for instance, because, you know, he's the baddie mm-hmm. of the, you know, and everything was very militant. This was sort of a little bit, off, you know, a little bit, not as organized, but sort of talking to that kind of a, a kind of dictatorship. But this one is the one that seeps into, you know, society. And, and, and I was trying to find something that everybody could relate to, but was constricting, like something that puts you in a, in, 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 you know, medical equipment was 
was the perfect, I thought, tool to say that because, you know, the way that it holds your mouth open, uh, but everybody's got the fear of that too. Those birthing chairs, the gurneys, like there were all these, you know, things that I think internally you can tap into like a human fear right. um, of that. Um, and they're also very constricting and controlling. So um, for me, it was just, you know, finding those symbolic images, playing a little bit uh, with that. And um, yeah, it was just about um, kind of the distortion and the manipulation of dictatorship or anybody who's got power over people. Even to this day, when I watch that video, like it's like you think of Trump's America, right? Like it speaks to... It speaks to that, right? Yeah. Um, this 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 ugly gong show um, that has kind of transpired in front of our eyes on television. Like it's it's crazy that certain messaging and imagery will always be that thing that comes back in full circle. Because again, that was that era, but at the same time, the messaging still is relevant to today. Just seeing that type of manipulation and dictatorship that happens where. We are controlled, you know, and we're and we're like puppets, you know. It's it's that real scary fine line between life imitating art and art imitating life, and um, and I was just always blown away by how you were able to capture those moments. And then to your point, using those symbols of things that usually give people the heebie-jeebies and just created this this perfect <laughs> ensemble of just like just fear or like. Just hit it up, hit it yeah. And there's no torture, really. There's no blood. There's no anything. But people kind of, you know, finish the story. Um, yeah. And it becomes, I guess, personal to whoever's watching it. And everybody's got their own experience, you know. For me, watching those videos again last night and Tourniquet as well, like the visceral feeling of that these images give you. And there's so, so many different images and setups in each video. And they all just like hit this uncomfortable nerve i don't know it's it just it's uh ama it amazes me like how how powerful those that imagery is on on a visceral level like it's it's so creepy well i'm just you know especially that body of work the redemption let's call it body of work i was very fascinated by the body right mm -hmm. and kind of like from an alien's perspective you know just woke up one day and going ah eh, why is the head looking that way why don't we have eyes in the back of our head i don't get it why are we you know <laughs> i know we have to have perspective but you know um so they're j just looking at it from that point of view and then deconstructing it and uh i grew up with judy's you know my mother would sew garments on judy's and they're the thing that you know you 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 um use uh, as a human form. So then I sort of become fascinated on how we need to see ourselves in things and the idea of mannequins and the idea of dolls and sort of always mirroring our physicality and what happens if you take things apart and put them back together. And, and, um, and I did a show on, on that in the DNA manipulation early, early on um, called Compartmental. And because uh, I read this article, how they were putting the DNA of tom uh, of fish into tomatoes, so the skin would be harder, uh, tougher. And now we're like, why now? We're just like we're growing <laughs> meat in test tubes, you know? I mean, we're just like <laughs> we, we're past it. <laughs> you know, who knows what's going to happen? We are got designer babies now, you know. But uh, we are God. <laughs> One of the things that that you know, as a person on the earth 
that I find, you know, when I look at like what you're saying, sort of the repetition of society and it's like this cycle that we're in, for me is, you know, the idea of being born in the duality dimension. Mm -hmm. And there is light and darkness and it's part of our experience. And for me, the the goal and, you know, we all suffer from going one way too much or the other. But the goal for me is to ride a middle lane. And, and because I, 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 this, I read this one quote and it was so beautiful. It was like, if you walk towards the light, your shadow becomes bigger. And I just thought, yes, it's not even about picking good and evil because that's not, that's just our, our names to these things, but they just are opposites to each other. So if you say peace, then the opposite of peace is war and we're in duality. So now we're giving life to war. So it's about, and it's so hard as a human in a spiritual quest, you know, to, to, um, to find the middle of things. And of course, we're going to be pushed to one way or another, but I think you can, you can lose sight if you go too, obviously, if you go too far into the darkness, you can get swallowed up by darkness and that's depression, that's dark thoughts, then then create your world around you. And if you go too far into the light, then you're ignoring this other thing that then is growing. And then one day you're going to have to look there. And it's about, you know, doing laundry, right? It's about figuring it out as we go. And hopefully we can give power to a thing that isn't. It's so hard because we're in a, the world of duality, but to, to I think, move outside of duality and to have um, a unified field and everybody's connected to one and the love that you can, you know, share when you see someone suffering and you see someone, you know, maybe behaving the way that you wouldn't to go that they're part of their somehow part of ourselves. And for me as an artist, I just take that and I create something with it. But it's, you know, it's, we have, we have something to write home about, you know, living in a world of duality. That's real. And, um, and I agree with you a hundred percent. And it's like, I'm, I'm a Virgo Libra and it's, to me, it's all about trying to find that balance. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I would, I would say too much of anything. I'm a Libra. So I know what you're talking about. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) That's been my life quest. (laughs) That's what I'm talking. Well, the crazy thing about us Libras, we try to balance everything around us, but we're like, well, for me, I'm a mess. So I don't know. Because you you get to go like, which way do I go today? (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. Um, Speaking on icons, David Bowie. Funny enough, my first introduction to Bowie was Let's Dance and Little China Girl. And I was like, who is this guy? He's well-dressed. He just got this swag about him. He just got this calm, calm, soothing voice. But he was just, he was awesome. And then I went through the time machine and started studying who this man was and where he came from. And he was like into futurism and, you know, stardust. And to see you work with an icon and someone that you've worked with several times as a collaborator, how was that experience working with someone who wasn't just music? He was, like I said, a fashion, fashion icon. He was also an activist. You know, Bowie has had been many times a person that's outspoken. And yes. I remember this one interview, I saw him calling out MTV when yes. they weren't playing Black artists. Yes, I and I was like, Bowie, I fucking yeah. see you, baby. I see yeah. you. So um, how, how did that relationship come about? What was the first project you guys collaborated on? Because you guys have done some really cool stuff. And 
you took his brand to a whole new place in terms of just visual aesthetic and tone and vibe. And I felt like it was the evolution of Bowie. Um, well, after I had done Marilyn Manson's Beautiful People, um, my team, we all thought like, okay, there, we had done it. Now there was somebody who was able to go and be theatrical and do all these things. It, you know, I was had um, kind of visions about so I thought we had kind of done it. And then I get the phone call from David Bowie and it was just standstill. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> wow, this is amazing. So I remember going to, he was recording in New York and I went to his studio and something happened. I don't know what he was doing, but he, when I walked in, he was just taken aback and there was some kind of uh, synchronicity happening. I don't know if he saw something that it was something. He was just like, oh, and then we spent five hours, five hours talking about art and music. And it was such a fantastic first meeting. And then he gave me sort of an idea of what he wanted to do. But it was live performance. You know, I was into created worlds and he wanted to do this thing with the spaceship. And I couldn't wrap my head around it because um, it was a live performance. It was just too real. And so it took me a, a few days just to digest, like, oh, my God, I, ha I, I, I can't miss this opportunity. This is crazy. But I also can't betray myself and pretend I can do it and I can't do it. Right. So then I was just quite, and then I get this wonderful message from him. And I still have the little tape, you know, when the little tapes were like that big <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the answering machine. And he was just like, Floria, if, you know, if you, if maybe you're not, end, you know, getting this idea, not getting this idea, into this idea, but really just do what you want to do and go for it and blah, blah, blah. Just giving me permission. Mm -hmm. And it was just so wonderful. And what I learned from him is that truly, truly creative people, and that's what makes them so amazing um, and iconic, is they understand the creative process. And they understand it and they have respect for it. So you don't have this, no, it has to be this way. You know, you don't have, I didn't have that. And it was like, oh, for me, it opened up a world. And then I started to dream about, is this what it's like to be David Bowie? Is this what it's like to be able to just dream up of images and do them? And so it, it really changed the way that I created, I lived. It was really a life choice. It was sort of like, wow, there are humans in this world doing things that really they're really excited about. And they're new and they're they don't know if it's going to work. You know right. what I mean? There is really like riding the wave of something and just believing it enough to get it done. And then, you know, but um, but he's really given me that gift. That gift was really incredible. And you can see it in his body of work, the way he's done it. You know, I've had some conversations with him where we'll do one thing. And then he's like, I want to make the world's shortest music video. Like, he's always, <laughs> always looking for something. He's like, OK, but I shot a lot of stuff. A minute and a half. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was fantastic. So he was, you know, and I created, like, I made this suit for him that I saw in my mind and I drew it up and and I didn't know if we was going to be into it. We made it. I got his measurements. He put it on and he was like, I know what this character would do because he's an actor, you know. He was just such a, I, I mean, amazing person. So he would take it. He would go and create and do this thing and little, a little wonder and it was, you know, the the pointy suit, you know, and he did this thing, the way he moved. And I shot it with all that staccato stuff. And after the one take, I went, okay, 
we're, we're done. Let's move on. You know, it was just magical. It was really, really, really fantastic. And another thing that he gave me too, I remember um, the muse, uh, the Virgin, he was on Virgin. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of like, well, you know, give me a hard time about the music video. And I'd show them a cut without any of the VFX finished. And they were giving me a hard time. And I told them they were giving me a hard time. And he laughed. And he was like, Floria, you don't listen to them. And <laughs> I was like, oh, right. You, right. It's the art, right? It's the artist. <laughs> the way, you know, it's when he does something, it wasn't done before. David Bowie does something and then he does it and then it becomes like, oh yeah, you know, it's the leader, right? And then all this other stuff comes. But in order to be in that position, he taught me in order to be in that position of of doing something no one's ever done before, you can't have your ears open to everything. Mm. You know, I, I, you have to be able to go, like that's that word I was talking about, not having intellect and the judgments and not judging your own work too early because you'll kill it. Right. You know, it's just sort of letting it burr, letting it become, nurture it. It's, it's weird. It's kind of, I don't understand it, but I'm kind of going there. Let it grow and grow and become something. And then, you know, which is what he does, right? He's always exploring in the way that he writes, the way that he does music. He's borrowing from things that don't, you wouldn't think go together. And he's creating his own. And I love the fact that he... Um, empowered you that way because that's just the best way to do it. Um, I've, 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 you know, being in the business like yourself, I've, we've, I've seen situations where the best collaborations to the worst collaborations, and it's always, it's always the best thing when they just say, "Hey, man, here's your canvas, here's your paintbrushes, go fucking paint," and uh, you know, I'll, I'll show up, you know, and just trusting you to just do what you're meant to do. Um, versus the label or the manager that will come in there and try to like mm. push their will and try to play it safe. And that's not what we've got to do. We got to get more likes and hits. And and I think that's, you know, that's the, that's the time and era that we came from as far as just making work that really means something mm-hmm. and making a statement versus now people trying to force art to fit a certain box or, make something for TikTok. And that's no knocks at those those mediums. It's just, I feel like if people connect with what you truly did and coming from a real place, that's what the, that's where the love really happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't force magic. Mm-hmm. And the work that you guys have done, every time you've done a video with him, it's just a different piece of magic that you created with him. And you can tell he's just having a great time and just letting go and just 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 falling into that world and just being a part, just being a character in this universe that you built with him, you know, and and just being free. And that's always the thing. He's always been an astronaut. He's always been an alien. Yes, always been an astronaut. That's a great word for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's and he's literally just traveling through dimensions and dimensions and yeah. dimensions. And when I was watching, you know, even the videos you did for um, the stars are out tonight. Uh, with uh, Tilda Swinton and even the next day with Gary Oldman. Again, these are two different works where you got this one piece where it's kind of this self-reflection and he's watching himself. And then you got this other thing that speaks to, again, this kind of cult-like, this culture in religion with Gary Oldman. And then, you know, it's just all this crazy imagery. And again, there's two different two different pieces. How are those experiences working on those jobs with those talents um, outside of working with the icon himself 
Mr. Bowie, but working with Tilda and working with Gary in these amazing, I call them like short film musicals. Well, uh, the Star Sarah tonight, I'm going to start with that one because that was really a magical experience because, you know, what, where Bowie was in his life. You know, he had gone silent for 10 years. Right. And uh, no one had heard a peep from him. And, you know, in the background, he was creating music. And it was a very, very creative time for him. He was just so happy. And um, and he told me this idea that he had the idea to work with Tilda. And I had just reached out to her on a project. And I was like, I, I know how to get a hold of Tilda. She's like... <laughs> She's, you know, a goddess. Um, and so that were that 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 was such a magical experience because everyone was so excited from, you know, from a PA to a the people in the grocery store to it, just to see David Bowie create and make music and because that's where he's supposed to be in life, right. you know, was, and we couldn't talk about it. It was literally like being pregnant. No one could see your hump. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was like, I'm pregnant. Really? I am. And I'm giving birth soon. And you're so excited, but no one could see it. Um, and it was the weirdest, weirdest experience having it come out into the world. It was so, so, so exciting. But that was, you know, because it was so secretive, we did everything at my house. We did all the wardrobe fittings and all the meetings, even with Gary Oldman. And so it was mm. so exciting. And, you know, he he had a friendship with Gary Oldman. Um, so that, you know, it was like two friends getting together again. And um, so that was really fun. And he was like, you know, cursing him, going, I'm going to go to hell for you. You know, <laughs> character, uh, a naughty priest, you know, he's like, but um but yeah, it was, everybody was just having a great time and, and you could see that um, everybody was into it. And then, you know, the the power of doing something for David Bowie, you can call up Marion Cotillard and go, can you come? <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's that. And, and people just identified with him. You know, he was the outsider, but yet commercial. So he hit. He was able to get out there so people could hear his music. But he spoke to, you know, the little bit of a weird, the weirdo in you, right? Yeah, he did, and he still does. And um, yeah. that's why for me, like my my theme song, anytime I had a bad day, I always played Rebel Rebel Full Blast. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that to me has always been that thing where, even for myself, I just never felt like I belonged. I just, I, you know, I was like that. Just like I said, like watching Orson Welles while my friends were out going to strip clubs. <laughs> and, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, I'm busy. I'm busy tonight, you know, washing my dreads and watching a little, you know, psycho tonight. Um, but uh, Bowie to me, again, um, actor, fashion icon, music, royalty, and just seeing all these beautiful worlds collide and making this beautiful art and this amazing story was just great to see for me just as a fan of all those uh mediums and just just to see it unfold was just incredible treat and again Floria thank you for guiding us through that amazing uh world that you created um and and talk about worlds that you created um I remember the first time when I met you and I forgot how the conversation came up but we were talking about Interpol Obstacle one. And I was talking about, oh my gosh, that's one of my favorite videos. 
I, because of that video, I just, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Interpol. But again, knowing history, the inspiration of Interpol is Joy Division. Got to give a shout to Joy Division. Yeah, got to give a shout to Joy Division. Got to give a shout to Joy Division. But uh, I used to love, I used to watch that video over and over and over and over and over again. And I've seen people borrow from that video, the imagery, right? The, the cool little wires fl- flapping around. And when I was talking about one of the other moments that I loved in the video was the dancing. And you were like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, wait, you, Interpol, that was you? And then, I, and then I thought you were just fucking with me, right? And then I went home that same night and I jumped on, on YouTube and I'm like, oh my gosh, it really is Floria. Like you are the boss, you know? Hair down, just throwing it down. You just, you're just, again, you're the coolest lady ever. And I noticed through a lot of your work, um, if it's, of course, you know, Pink's Try, Justin Timberlake Mirrors, uh, even, you know, the late great Leonard Cohen, you always have movement. And I'm just curious to know, uh, I know, I know you've mentioned coming up in the theater, but was dance a part of your upbringing as well to you? Because you always figured out this amazing way of incorporating it, you know, and it's always cool. Even Gucci Bloom, same thing. You always figure out a way how to embed dance and movement in your pieces. I'm just curious to know, did you have dance growing up or did you, you know, where did you find love for dance? Well, yeah, I loved dance as a small child and I I did take ballet until we couldn't afford it anymore. And I think that um, there was also this idea of, and it's the same thing with opera. It's the same all the time. Like when you, you you do a classical thing, like a ballet, there's structure to it. Like an opera, you're told when to take a breath and they sing the same songs for a million years, right? It's the same thing. I'd hear my dad sing the same songs. So for me, it was the punk rock in me to try to like, I'm going to rip this stuff apart, you know? And so I, and, and, you know, I couldn't continue to take classes. So for me, but still the, the, the butt had grown, you know, the, the idea of using um, movement to as another form of expression. And that's why I think I, I loved film so much and finding that movement and be able to capture that movement was something that excited me. And, you know, with anything, with anything you use in the frame, you could say something with it. You know, whether it is Rihanna in the way that she's moving and, and, and conjuring up spirit and or whether it's, you know, Justin Timberlake and, and it's uh, having, you know, the elderly couple kind of do some movement together that are in sync. Um, that tell a story. Yeah. So, and, but again, for me, it's more the, not that I know too much of Martha Graham's work, but it's the pioneers of, of, of dismantling things and creating a new, a new vocabulary that excites me. And it's that continual experimentation, you know, the body, what can it do? What can it say? Uh, and and I think you could see it come in and out of society depending on, you know, what era you're looking at. But it is something that continues to thrive, you know, people and especially now, even during, you know, COVID and and people being shut out. You, st- you see this sort of, you know, people in bedrooms and expressing themselves through body when language, you know, just get rid of language. And there's something wonderful about that. And it's the same with music, too. It transcends language. No, it's, and it's awesome. Um, I'm not sure if you know my background, but when I came into the business, that's how I came in. I was a hip hop dancer first. Yeah. 
So yeah, so I used, I danced for the Roots and Talib Kweli, and oh uh, I, I I danced in a Q-tip video that was directed by Stefan Sednoui. You know, wow. yeah. So <laughs> I've so dance has always been my thing. I've always had a love for dance, and then you know I'm not really a musical guy, um, but you, you can't help but love films like West Side Story or early Michael Jackson Madonna videos. Movement was always a thing, and what I love about the way you incorporate dance, it's 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 theater, it's drama, it's it's performance art. Um, so it's not your typical one and two and three and four, and, you know, none of the Britney Spears shit. And no, no knocking Britney, love Britney. Um, but it's just it's just again you having this um, amazing approach and making it artful and just just beautiful movement and subtle, right? Just very subtle. And when I watched. I remember the first time I watched Pink's Try video, it was like, wow. Like, because remember, she entered the game as this, this, this R&B female artist. And when she finally got to a certain level of success, she was like, all right, fuck everybody. I'm doing it the way I want to do it. And that video, like, that's when I saw the superstar come into to Pink. And then, as you know, she went on doing that piece in her shows when she started coming down and doing the draping and... Yeah. You know, she really got physical in her performances. Like she kind of incorporated this kind of circus soleil type vibe to to the work, and again leveling it up. And watching, you know, you go from this this these, this beautiful light and dark space to now going into this beautiful, you know, um, performance art piece. These art pieces, um, again, it's a testament to your uh, artistry and the evolution of Floria. Uh, which I appreciate a lot. <laughs> well, let me tell you a little bit about that. When I first met Pink and we were, it was just a hello. Um, I looked at her and I had this idea and it, it had been brewing up for years. And it was um, something I wanted to do Apache dancing. And it's so difficult. And I've actually, after that, I read that Madonna had tried to do it, but it is so difficult to do. And, it's, um, and it stems from dancing on the street. I want to say the 40s dancing on the street between a John and his hooker. (laughs) (laughs) And it was basically a street fight, a love fight. And that's how it came about, this dancing where they took them by the hair and they twisted each other and they flew up in the air. And so there was this, you know, fighting. And and, um, I looked at her and she goes, do you have any ideas? I just looked at her and I went, you could do this. You could do this because, you know, she's strong. And, and I, I know that she had just done a performance where she had used silks or something. And, that, and then I, I researched a little bit about her background. And so she had done gymnastics. And I was like, oh, this is the opportunity to do this. And I remember her training and training and training for us. And she wouldn't show me anything. You know, she'd be like, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, I'm not going to show you anything. <laughs> and I remember the day of the shoot, the management coming up to me going, do you think this is going to work? I was like, mm-hmm. of course it's going to work. She can do it. Of course she can do it. This is this is going to work. And and it, when it came to life, it was like, ah, oh, it was so great and so catharsis. And it really felt like a relationship seen through dance. Yeah. You know, the love and the tender moments with the sort of aggression and how we take it on and on the other person and that sort of wonderful dance um that happens um, in life, but uh, but yes, that's how that one came about. No, it's it's so magical, man. And again, it's just uh, like I said, everyone watched when they watched that video, and then seeing how she, like you said, brought that whole 
vibe to her show, her her stage show. It's just it just leveled her up in terms of just artist. And um, mm-hmm. and then to me, it's just again, I always applaud artists who continue pushing because that's our jobs as artists is to continue pushing the needle and figuring out how do I elevate you know, the art of storytelling or music or whatever art you're into. It's about always trying to figure out how to continue pushing the needle uh, for mobility in what we do. Yeah, she had, obviously she had that in her, you know, already. And it was just about pulling it out and creating something with it. But she had all the know-how in her DNA, you know. And speaking about that, about growth, your commercial work is very, very unique in a way where, as you know, advertising could be a very mundane place, <laughs> right? Especially with this kind of madmen bullshit mentality. But you figured out a way um, to use your brand of storytelling in that space. And your most recent piece for Gucci Aria, man, it's just so beautiful. Um, everything about it is just bright, it's vibrant. Uh, and that the end piece, which again, which I need to send you a link to that movie Legend, it reminds me of Legend, like this kind of Garden of Eden and just, it was just this magical place. And I just felt like, wow, I wish I could be there. And that's the beauty in art that I love, where it doesn't matter if it's a, it's just a scary place or a happy place or a sad place. Um, when, I, when I connect with art, it's about when I felt something. And even for a fashion film, um, that incorporates runway and showing clothing, but again, there's still that touch of humanity and 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 vulnerability and just just that energy that you again know how to capture in a way that makes people feel like they're not even watching something that's from our planet. So, can you speak to that collaboration with Gucci and how it was, you know, working with that talent and telling that type of story and that beautiful, cool runway? with all those cameras and it just looks so badass. I felt like I was at Studio 54 in a hallway or yeah. something, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. Alessandra had, Alessandra Michelle uh, had this idea of, you know, I guess coming back up for air. And Adia means air. And it, it, you know, when you think of what can come out of our, 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 I call it our incubation period, which has been happening to humanity on a global level, is sort of a little bit more on the cash side, you know? It's sort of like right. we've got, got fitted, everybody's fitted into their stretchy pants and stayed at home and gotten all real cozy. And I loved that he's taken this and just brought glam back on like steroids. It was just so fun and amazing. And it was so great to see and everything had bling bling and everything had, and I was so excited to see how much Glamour, because, you know, at the end of the day, I love dressing up. I love, <laughs> I love fashion. Like whenever I do a movie on my last day, I want to wear a ball gown. Like I'm tired of wearing, <laughs> you know, the same outfit all the time. <laughs> and it's just, for me, it's self-expression. I grew up, you know, you know, my mama there was making clothes. So I grew up with, you know, just almost getting beat up by the clothes that you wear in, in, in a kind of in a way, 
builds you who you are. So when I saw that, it was like, oh my God, he's bringing glamour back at a time when you would think everybody would go the opposite way. Mm-hmm. It was so exciting. And the idea was, you know, to, to get all dressed up and, and like the Studio 54, to be seen at these clubs, the club was almost the outside. Right. You know, it was the paparazzi. And he was, you know, talking about the flashes, like, like you know, being so bright. And, and so when we saw it finished, um, and I thought it was going to be much more aggressive when I looked at it and it looked like a little jewelry box. Like it just looked so sparkly and twinkly and it matched the clothes so well. And he had always, you know, done things a little bit in a darker palette in, in terms of the fashion shows. So it was very important for it to be bright. So in this white world. And for me, the the challenge was like, my God, you know, and, and, and for him as well, sort of, you know, he's a, he was the first one to say it. He's like, listen, these fashion films, one minute, I'm done. One minute, I'm done. I, I know, you know, I, I've seen it. I turn it off. That it doesn't matter about the clothes at, at a certain point. Um, and he goes, but I can see, I can watch music videos for three minutes and I want more. Right. So he really kind of pushed, it's like, make it feel like a music video. And, you know, at 15 minutes is still a very long time. A 15-minute <laughs> music video is a very long time to keep someone's attention. So for me, it was, you know, about building the energy, showing that there was something beyond the hallway mm-hmm. and what that was. And what I loved about the idea was, like, you know, here you are, you think you're going to go to the party of the century and we're kind of coming out of COVID and, and we're, you know, the party is with nature. And I loved that. There was a very human, beautiful, story there and then bringing in the animals and mirroring them to the actions of the people in it for me that was the humanity you know that was the connection with nature and and that sort of the 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 bling the sort of this uh, glamour which we don't see in nature you know you don't see people dressed up like that usually see them in dark places at nightclubs and things like that. So to see it in the the bright light and uh, surrounded by animals was really, um, you know, it was the world to create. Right. And, and, and uh, the challenge of making that feel magical and hoping that people would stay long enough to, to feel that, to see that world at the 11 minute mark, you know, 12 minute mark. No, it's great. And honestly, I, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to go into that coming from the runway space. And you know what I mean? It was such a beautiful um, departure, right? It's like you literally like, all right, we're going to take you from there and now bring you to this fantasy world of what it's about. This is taking you back to the very beginning of of mankind and womankind, right? And and, and even like you said, like I was going to mention that, that two horses, how they're like intertwined, like two swans. Like it was just about human human connectivity on steroids. And it was just a fun place. And the casting was beautiful and everyone just had this had a vibe to them. And just mm-hmm. it felt like a uh, like a Greek mythology stage of these of these gods and goddesses just playing together in this Garden of Eden. We always ask, you know, what what practices do you have in your life that help you um, just recharge creatively, spiritually? I would say that transcendental meditation has probably saved me through this time. Um, having a regular two times a day practice. Um, and basically it's like taking up the garbage. And that has helped a lot in this time. I was work- I'm working on my new film and it's a very sort of internal journey about 
personal demons. So it really was a great time actually to get in touch with that and not to have exterior influences. So it actually, it uh, serendipitous how how the moment in my life I was prepping this movie, which was uh, kind of in a way, hopefully, you know, touching on a sort of more of a collective uh, consciousness in terms of what the personal demons that we all fight on a daily on a daily um, uh, life. But the meditation has really, really helped, and I, I do it. The more busy I am, actually, the more. Um, I have a good uh, practice and a good routine. Mm. Is that every day? Yeah, twice a day. Every day. Oh, wow. So it's in the morning, as soon as you get up, and then sort of midday, because if you do it too late, it keeps you up. Mm. Oh, wow. So it's not about, you know, becoming, you know, all zen and walking around like, oh, peace. And everything. <laughs> <laughs> it actually brings out, and they'll say this, you know, if, if you do ever go to get a, a course in transcendental meditation, it makes you more who you are. So if you're funny, you're going to be more genuinely funny. Or if you're, you know, it makes you who you are. So it's not about um, walking around like a Buddha. It's more about being true to your um, spirit essence, I guess. And, and it, it's just about taking out the garbage and making your nervous system more resilient. So you don't mm-hmm. have to stick to it and then create, you know, become anchors. Yeah. I, I need like, that. I like the analogy of, of taking out the garbage. Yeah. It's, uh, the daily we, all, we all need right? that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, um, we uh, touched on so much of your work, but I, we're curious to know, like, what's one of the last great music videos or commercials, uh, you know, a short form piece that, that you enjoyed and uh, want to share? God, I've been so in my own little world. I have not been exploring um, as much as, you know, I say uh, maybe diving back into uh, artists that I enjoy, like uh, Eleonora uh, Carrington's work. She's a painter. Yeah. Um, I want to say Anita Malfatti. Who else? Uh, um, and there's going back to Maya Dern. This is like really, people see the world a little differently, but what I love about Carrington's work is she's really tapping into something spiritual and maybe you can call it a little bit dark, but it's a little bit the unknown. And I think that's scary for some people. Um, and it's uh, scary to go down, I guess, a self-exploratory um, route within your work. But I think it's actually quite important um, to retain balance. So yeah, I've been mostly looking at painters, but I've been literally in in the world of my film for you know the last five months now. So wow, um, yeah, and you know, not really doing social media and just really concentrating. It's been uh, very, very intense and such a wonderful experience this time around. So very excited. Well, Floria, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for sparing some time. Uh, you are an inspiration for so many. You've you've opened so many doors and minds with your work, and just want to say thank you for just being a Puritan and a pioneer. Well, thank you for having me. It's such a, a wonderful experience talking to you guys and uh, seeing you again and reconnecting. Um, it's always a pleasure. Woo woo woo! That was insane. That was the legend, the myth herself, uh, Floria 
Sigis Mundi. And uh, man, she is an incredible woman, incredible visionary, and um, I'm her biggest fan, hands down. I couldn't imagine having this conversation on our podcast, and we did that. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Artists like her come once in a lifetime, and I'm blessed to have crossed paths with her. Um, so check this out. As you know, at the end of every segment, I like to give a shout out to a film that I feel you would really appreciate and love. And uh, this film that I'm going to talk about, it is called, um, hopefully I'm not butchering it. Um, it's an Argentinian film. It's called Aterrados. Aterrados. That's the original title. The English title is called Terrified. It's written and directed by this guy named Damien Rudna. Uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. It came out in 2017. It's a supernatural film, pretty much where these strange events occur in a neighborhood in Buenos Aires. And, um, and there's a doctor that goes in there that specializes in paranormal. And so this team go in there to figure out what's going on in this community where there's these three situations going down at three different places, three different types of paranormal activity. And man, the the film spooked the shit out of me. Um, I don't scare easy. I was really, really um, moved by it. And I guess so was um, award-winning director uh, Guillermo del Toro because apparently he is now working with um, Damien on doing a, uh, a remake of his own movie. Um, I guess an English version that's going to be coming out to theaters um, soon, probably the next year or so. So remember, I told you it first. The film is called Terrified. Aterrados is, hopefully I'm saying it right. And if not, for all my, my Spanish friends, call me and you know curse me out for butchering it. But um, it's an incredible film that spooked the shit out of me, and you're going to really enjoy it. But yeah, great, great film. Anyway, thank you for listening. Make sure to follow the show at Architects Pod. Architects is created by Fella and produced in partnership with Curious Cast. Our theme music and audio production are by Oso Audio. See you next time. Peace. Peace.